Uh, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Um, this week I want to look at the arc incarnation. I want to look at the, uh, the text that's going to unfold. The incarnation. Um, Jesus is God. The, the doctrine of incarnation, God being fully God and also being fully man, is a mo- just a monumental teaching. And, and the reason Paul unpacks this idea is because the Greek uh, philosophical thought of that day was that physical matter, like physical matter, was evil and the spirit was good. And thus it was unthinkable, there was no way it could ever be possible that God could ever be a human being. God could never take on human flesh. So Paul refutes this idea of this false teaching and he tells us in the text that in essence Jesus is one person who has two natures. A divine nature and a human nature. In other words, Jesus is both Fully God and fully man. That's the text in James, or I'm sorry, Colossians 2 9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body, in a human body. J.I. Packer, a great theologian, said, Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. I remember several years ago, I used to work for Dillard's. I was a ladies' shoe salesman. That's what I did for a while in my life. I sold ladies' shoes. And there was a lady that I had that I worked with in that department. And she and I got into an intense disagreement. She said, there is no way that Jesus is God. He's just the Son of God. That's it. He's not really God. He's just the Son of God. And I, said, I, I told her, I, I, I adamantly disagree with you. The Bible tells us often that Jesus is God. And, and so we had this, this fight back and forth and how she thought that God's Son had no real true divinity in Him. It was just God's Son. And the Bible gives us a very clear picture of who Jesus is. Titus 2, 3 tells us, it says that uh, as Christians we are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Can anybody help me with that text? I'm not sure what that meant. <laughs> I, exactly, right? I, he just said, Jesus just made the claim. He said, I am God. We're looking for the blessed hope. That's what we as Christians look forward to, is the blessed hope of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Upon seeing the resurrected Christ, Thomas cries out in John chapter 20, verse 28. Um, he says, my Lord and my God. John 1.18, Jesus is called the only begotten God. Like, so there's, there's multiple. These are just a couple of the texts that I've pulled out of this. Just th- this idea of the incarnation that God is who he says he is God. Jesus is God. So Paul, upon seeing Jesus for the first time, think about this. 
Paul on his way to Damascus, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Paul on his way to Damascus going to persecute Christians, sees Jesus in his fullness, in his holiness, and he says what? Who art thou, Lord? With a capital L. So he knows that this is somebody, that's, it's not just somebody. He says, it's, who are you, Lord? And then he continues again in Colossians 2, 9, and says, In Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. C.S. Lewis once wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, um, that uh, we have this claim here. Listen to this. Because a lot of people say, well, there's there's a lot of teaching that says that Jesus was just a good Man, he was a good prophet. Islam teaches that Jesus was just a prophet. He was just a good teacher. He was just all, he was just all, Hinduism, they all, if you look through all the other religions of the world, Jesus is not, doesn't have God, is not God, he's just a good teacher. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus. This is what people say. I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept the claim that he is to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great, he would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says that I am a poached egg (laughs) or else he is the devil from hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something far worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not be left open to the patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. He has not left room for that at all. He never intended to. Nor it seems to me, now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he is and was God. That's from mere Christianity. And, and this idea that Jesus was just a good moral teacher was even around when Jesus walked on the earth. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 17. Jesus comes to his disciples and he says in verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And look at their response. They replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Who was John the Baptist? He was a great teacher. He was a prophet. He was a moral teacher, right? Some say Elijah. Who was Elijah? Elijah was the same. And others say Jeremiah. Who was Jeremiah? Another good prophet, right? Or one of the other prophets. In verse 15 it says, Jesus says, but what do you say? What do you say? Who do you say I am? 
And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father who is in heaven. Jesus didn't leave room for the idea that he's just a moral teacher. Like, he is God. The things that he said, the things that he did, proved he was God. The prophecies that were, pro- that were foretold all through the Old Testament, he went around, he fulfilled those prophecies. That's the reason people got mad at him. The reason Jesus died is because he stood and he said, I'm God. And human beings didn't like it because this idea that, that, that human being, a, a man could be fully God and fully man, in their minds was incomprehensible. It could not be. But Jesus didn't re- leave room for that. He showed us throughout the entire text that he was and is the God of the universe. So with that idea, I, I want us to unpack this. I want us to see this process as it's broken down, that we at C.S. Lewis's process, he says, if Jesus were not Lord, he would have been a liar or a lunatic. So because he says, because Jesus was neither a liar nor a lunatic, therefore Jesus is God. So if Jesus is God, how do you and I respond to that claim? The claim that Jesus made, how do we respond to him? Well, I want us to look through the Bible at men that have encountered Jesus and how they responded. One of the first ones we see is in Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 35. There's a guy in the text, his name is Simeon. And God promised him he would not die until he saw God in the flesh. And so... As a small baby, Mary and Joseph brought him in. In fact, let's just look at the text. That way you guys don't think I'm making it up. Luke chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 2. I want you to see this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is, he, he was waiting for Israel to be rescued, redeemed. By who? God. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he'd been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the... He, he, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when... The parents, when Mary and Joseph brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now, you're, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. So he knew beyond, he knew before this was, before the disciples knew, he knew that this was the guy, Jesus, the God of the universe is coming to flesh and he's going to reconcile Gentile and Jew and they're all going to have one savior to be reconciled to and his name was Jesus. So you see, Jesus 
He sees Jesus and he responds in worship and a sense of gratitude and thankfulness because he knows his salvation is there and he could die in peace. What's Peter's response? Peter was one of Jesus' inner circle. Peter's response when Jesus shows up, uh, he shows off his power. When he sees Jesus in Luke chapter 5. Now this is an interesting story. This is an interesting story. When Simon Peter realizes what happens at this moment in Luke chapter 5. I want us to, to look at this idea of who Jesus said he was. Who Jesus said he was. In Luke chapter 5, I want us to see this. We're going to look at verse 8. My eyes are getting worse. Well, let's just let's back it up. We're going to look at verse, go to verse 5. Because Jesus is just, he had, he's talking to Peter. He's getting ready to call him as one of his disciples. And when he said, he, he finished speaking, he said to him, put into the deep, he, he's fishing. Peter's fishing. And, and he's not caught anything all night. You guys remember the story. He's fished all night. He's fished. He's fished. They've caught absolutely nothing. Verse 4, he said, And when he had finished speaking to Simon, Jesus said, Put put into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and and we've taken in nothing. But at your word, I will let down my nets. So he's being obedient here. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their net were, nets were breaking. They signaled to, the, to their partners and the other boats to come and to help. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. So the boats were, they had fished all night long. Couldn't catch a single solitary fish. And at the, at the word of the master, at the word of God himself, he said, let down the nets. And you know what God said to the, you know what he told those fish? Hey fish, I know I've told you to be on the other side of the lake all night. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to come back over here. You're going to get it. You're going to jump in these nets. The nets are down. You're going to jump into the nets. And you're going to go ahead and get into the nets. Okay? Fish are going, okay, we'll do that. We'll jump in the nets. And they filled both boats that began to sink. So there are so many fish that their boats are starting to do. They're starting to sink. And in my mind, as a disciple who's a, or a man who's a fisherman, my thought process would be, as the selfish human side of me, hey, this guy is good to be around. You want a job? You want a job? But what's Peter's response? The appropriate one. Verse 8. But when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who, had, who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish and that they had taken. And so Peter does what he's, he's like, Oh my gosh, sinful man encounters holy God. And when sinful man encounters holy God, there's only one response. It is abject 
horror and terror because sin can never be in the presence of holiness. And so we see that when, when Peter's response here, when, he, when Jesus shows off just a tiny little bit of his power, like he didn't, he didn't rip back, the, didn't show his, his incarnation. He does eventually. He does on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He does do that eventually. But even in this, he doesn't even do that. All he does is just say, hey, fish, get into a net. And the, the people, lo- like Peter loses his mind and says, get away from me. Leave me for I am a sinful man. Jesus is the sovereign king of the universe. And all of creation obeys him. All of creation obeys him. Like I, I think about this, 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 the story in Mark chapter 4. When Jesus calms the storm, there's a massive storm that's raging. They're in the sea, of, they're in the, they're in the sea and they're raging. This, this massive storm is happening. And the disciples are losing their mind. They're, they're terrified in the, mid, in the moment. And they wake Jesus up because Jesus is sleeping in the midst of a storm in a boat. It's not like a cruise liner. He's in a little tiny fishing boat. Anybody been in a small fishing boat before? Not a lot of room. But Jesus has found a spot to sleep and he's got a blank. He's just sleeping. And they wake him up and Jesus stands up in Mark chapter 4 and he says this. He gets up and he rebukes the wind. Could you imagine? Stop it! Hey, wind, quit it! I told you to stop. So he rebukes the wind and he tells the waves, quiet! Be still. And then the wind dies down. And everything is completely calm. So they were, they, the disciples just thought they were afraid before. Look at verse 40. And he says this. Why are you afraid? Don't you have any faith? And let's find, you find out why they're terrified in verse 41. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So not just, the fish aren't the ones, the only things that obey him. Like the actual wind and the waves, all he has to do is quiet, be still, stop. And they, immediately everything stops. When Jesus calmed the waves of the storm and the sea, his disciples were terrified, not of the fact of the storm. They were rather terrified at the absolute power that they had just, just witnessed. They just saw the God of the universe perform a miracle, and they were terrified at holiness again in the presence of sinful man. When Jesus reveals his holiness and his power, there's but one human response, and that's fear. And we see that over and over and over again all through the text, where Jesus reveals his power and human beings quiver in fear. And they're like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. How could this happen? Because he was fully God and he was fully man, come to reconcile and redeem mankind. Jesus left no room that he was, he never said, he didn't leave any room just that he's a good teacher. He had plenty of explanation, plenty of illustration, plenty of pictures being drawn that he was the God of the universe. We say, well, that, that's how human beings respond, Caleb. Is there anything else that, that, that is a little different? Well, yeah, let's see how the demons respond to Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, like this story 
This story is crazy. Go to Mark chapter 5. I want you guys to see this. Turn your Bibles. Go to Mark 5. And we've heard this. If you've been in Sunday school long enough, you've heard this story. But here's what I want us to understand. I don't want us to, to see these as, oh, those are Sunday school stories. And just fluff them off. These have meaning for us in this room. Adults need to hear these stories just like young kids do because we, we, we sometimes think that those, are man, those aren't really mandates from the God of the universe. They're just sort of kind of kids' stories. They're more than just kids' stories. They're stories that can change our lives. Chapter 5, verse 2. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met with him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but had wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles into pieces. Like, that's strong. Like, I don't know about, like, when you put a chain and a shackle on, you're going to be in it for a minute. But this guy had enough strength that he was ripping chains and shackles off, not just in half, he's shattering them into pieces, according to the text. No one could subdue him. Verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out loud and cutting himself with stones. Now, I don't know the backstory of this man. But at some point, he made a decision where he, he was playing around with things he shouldn't have been playing around with. Some of you in, in this room, some of you that are listening, some of the people that you might know have been playing around with things that they shouldn't be playing around with. They've been believing things, hearing things, involved in things that they shouldn't have been involved with. And man, I guarantee you, if you sat down with this man before all this had taken place, that listen, there's going to come a day where you're going to run through tombs naked and cut yourself and scream and cry. He'd been like, no, not me. I'll never forget the story of like my grandma. My grandma lived, my grandma was a drunk. My grandma was a point, like she drank a lot. To the point where she had to go live in Venita, Oklahoma in a padded cell and have to have electroshock therapy. That she just fried her brain with alcohol and drugs. I guarantee if you'd gone to 15-year-old Winona Gordon well, and said, listen, Winona, there's going to come a point when you're in your 50s and 60s and you're going to be a complete crazy person that sits in a room and talks to herself. And, and acts nuts because of the, what, you, what you're doing. She would have been like, no, not me, I'm fine. I can handle my liquor. I can handle drugs. It's not a big deal. I'll never forget my dad in the conversation. He goes, when do you become a drunk? With your first? When do you become an alcoholic? With your first or your last drink? That's a question that you have to ask yourself. But this man... Obviously, it made some decisions, and I don't know where he, he made some decisions in his life, but he's in these tombs now, and he's cutting himself, and he's slashing himself, and he's filled with an unclean spirit. And we find out that this unclean spirit's a pretty rank spirit here in a second. Verse 6. And when he saw Jesus, when the man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell before him and cried out with a loud voice and said, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Now, this wording is a protest. 
When you come in, when you see that, what do you have to do with me? This is a protest. Like, why are you here? What's going on? Why are you here? I don't, uh-uh, uh-uh. This is a protest from the demons. The demons protest and they say, what do you have to do with me, Jesus? Who? Son of the Most High God. I abjure you by God. Do not torment me. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So at the word, at the command, Jesus is like, listen, you're not supposed to be here. Get out. You come out of him. You cannot come out of him. Now I want you to see, this is interesting. Because the demons deserve wrath. Just like we as unclean, sinful human beings deserve wrath. Now they don't, they don't get the kind of mercy that we get. But in this text, they do get mercy because God had every right, Jesus had every right to cast them out into the abyss. In fact, they even say here, look at this. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Like this is just a, this isn't Jesus going, I don't know who you are. He knows exactly who he is, but he's trying to make a point here. But what's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, I did some research on the word legion, and in Rome, legion was a troop set, a, a setting of troops of 6,000. So there is a minimum, looks like from the text, of 6,000 demons infested in this man's heart. So it is a, there's a reason he could wrench chains into shackles and, and wrench the the shackles into pieces. He's got a legion of demons in his soul. And legion begged Jesus earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there at the hillside and he, he begged, the, the demon begged Jesus, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them, what's the word say? Gave them permission. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't be like, oh, no, we're running. There was no running from God. They had no other choice but to wait and to see what God told them to do. God gave them permission to enter the the demons. He gave permission to the demons to enter the pigs. He gave these demons mercy. They asked for mercy and Jesus extends mercy to them. How great is our God that he would even extend mercy to these hellish beings. He, but he also extends far more mercy to you and I. How did the demons respond? They, when they saw him, they're like, Jesus. Like they knew, they, they didn't have to ask questions. They weren't going, I wonder who this guy is. They saw him from afar and they knew exactly who he was and they didn't run because they're like, man, we have nowhere to go. We can't hide from God. So they came running to him and they fell down before him and said, Jesus, the most high God, most high God. They called him the most high God. They were afraid and they asked for mercy. And the case has been made this morning throughout. Just read just a few of the texts. Just a few Bible verses. Just a few. Have been, the case has been made this morning that Jesus is who he says he was and he is. He is God. Now, the devil wants 
Now listen to this. Because I, I want us to see this. Because the world in which we live is a crazy world. There, is, there has been throughout history. I went through and did a history search of people that had claimed to be God. Claimed to be Jesus. And there have been hundreds of people that have claimed to be Jesus. Now, the devil wants to be worshipped. Like, that's his desire. The, de- the devil has a desire to be worshipped just like Jesus. At the beginning in, in, in Genesis, that was his whole idea. He wanted to be worshipped just like God. He wanted to be God. So, he is envious of who God is. And so what he's done is he's tricked folks into believing that they can worship a man just like they worship God. And these men and women, there's men who claim to be Christ. Um, we think of crazy, we, uh, we think of the list of crazy cult leaders that have come and said that they were God's chosen person, God's chosen Messiah, or Jesus himself. Right now, in this moment, there are six human beings on this earth who claim to be Jesus or God's chosen lamb. I've just got a couple of names here. Apollo Quiglio. He was born in 1950. He's the founding leader of the Filipino-based Restorationist Church, the Kingdom of Jesus Christ, and the name above every name, Incorporated. You've got to to incorporate. Always got to incorporate because you've got to get those tax breaks in. Uh, But he has made the claim that he is the appointed son of God. Um, so that, that's one. We've got another guy. I've just, I've just put a couple in here. Hassan Masuzi. He's the former politician member of the Parliament of the Republic of Turkey. And he, that, during the time he was there from 1991 to 1995, he was expelled from the Welfare Party and imprisoned for his extreme views on secularism. He claimed to be a prophet and the Messiah and Jesus after his imprisonment. He just had this revelation in pri- Oh, huh, I'm Jesus. Really? Okay. Um, the last one I want us to look at, very interesting. Uh, A.J. Miller. He's a former Jehovah's Witness. So he's been involved in false teachings the, the teaching of Jehovah's Witnesses is a false, false cult. And so he's a member of, was a former member of the Jehovah's Witnesses. He was an elder. And he is current, the current leader of the Australian-based Divine Truth Movement. Miller claims to be Jesus Christ incarnated with others. Weird. In the 20th century to spread the message that he calls divine truth. He delivers these messages in seminars, in various forms of media, along with his current partner, not just, like, this is his current partner. Her name is um, Mary Suzanne Luck, who identifies herself as the return Mary Magdalene. <laughs> like, this is the crazy, the, 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 the death. Like the, and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that follow these Men who claim to be Jesus. Like the devil wants to trick us so badly. He wants to be worshipped. And so he's invaded these human beings. And he's, there's demonic spirits inside of this guy. In fact, I watched the documentary a little, like it was a news clip on this Apollo Quiglio B. And he's got, the, like, they carry him around on a golden throne. And they throw, I'm like, this dude's got money. He's got multiple wives. Like, that's something weird with, with cult leaders and multiple wives. I just, I don't understand that. Sickness. Amen, men? Okay, I'm just checking. I, man, I can barely handle one. 
But I just, it, it's just fascinating to me that we've got all these men who claim to be God. They claim, and that, that's just six. I mean, that's just three of the six. There's three more that I didn't even talk about. And in the 19th century, 18th century, 17th century, if you do a Wikipedia search, you can find men that do, well documented this. And it's interesting how they all have these early deaths. They have these horrific deaths. They don't stay around long. I mean, think of David Koresh. David Koresh said he was the Lamb of God. He was the chosen Lamb of God and ended up shooting himself in the mouth. Just As you can see, every, every, if you look through the history books and you read these men's stories, all of them have an agenda that does not match up with the scriptures. So if you ever see, if I, if I as your pastor ever deviate from the text, deviate from the scriptures and start saying things that don't belong, they're extra biblical curriculum, man, run me out on a rail. If you get around any man, any woman who says that they, that they represent God or they are God and they say they have an agenda, Every one of these men have an agenda. They want to be worshipped on some level because that's what we as human beings, we love to be worshipped. That's what Satan wants. Satan wants to be worshipped. They have a financial agenda that they want to happen. That This is what they want. This is, so in verse 8 of Colossians 2, we'll go back up just to one, one verse. It says, See that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Don't let crazy people trick you into believing that they're Jesus or that they're God or that they have special powers. And, and these, like these people who claim to be Christ have a worldliness that's about them. They have a human agenda. They have plans to help them line their own pockets and to be worshipped. This is the same idea that the devil had in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 5, the devil came to Eve and tempted her with the fruit and said in verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of this, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. What was the reasoning? She, wa- she said it was beautiful to look at and she wanted to be wise. She wanted to be like God. So she took the fruit and ate it and she also gave it to her husband who was with her and they ate. So Caleb, hold on. We would never be fooled into believing stuff like that that we could be God's. We would never false that that like that that quigley guy quigley oh guy the, the church of the resurrection incorporated blah blah i'd never fall for that that's that's great but i want us to see this there are many churches who have many who have fallen for the teachings of false teachers in the charismatic movement kenneth copeland creflo dollar jesse duplantis todd white Benny Hinn and Joel Osteen all teach that we are little gods. They all believe and teach that we have, we are a god ourselves, and that we can we are co- we are copies of God, and we are a little little g little god. So Paul says, "Don't 
fall for this nonsense. The only God is Jesus, and he is the one who redeems and rescues. And as a result, we owe him our lives. We owe him our hearts. And as a result of Jesus doing that, we are in him and he is in us. We are secure. And Jesus came and he canceled all of our sins. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, what are the legal demands of sin? What are the, what are the legal demands? For the wages of sin is what? Death. That's the legal demands. Jesus canceled that. He set that aside by nailing it to the cross. He nailed our sins. He nailed your sins to the cross. Verse 15 says, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He is the great God of the universe. That's the reason we sang this morning. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. Like, he is the one that's to be praised. What's our response to the God of the... What is our response to Jesus? What should our response be to Jesus Christ? Our response to Jesus should be this. You are God and you are worthy. You are holy. You are beautiful. You are glorious. And you are everything. And that, that our response should be this. That you... Because of who you are, you deserve my worship, you deserve my adoration, you deserve my heart, you deserve my life. Like, that's what you deserve. Period. 